Hi, this is Elliot Fishman. Welcome to our latest vodcast. And this one's going to be an abdominal trauma. And trauma is an important topic. It's something all of us do in practice uh, just by the numbers. I sound like uh, the uh, news radio, but 100,000 deaths annually by trauma as leading cause of death in the 1 to 44-year-old age group. Blunt trauma accounts for about 70% of trauma cases, and two-thirds of these are related to motor vehicle accidents. It's a $300 billion cost in the U.S. each year. Now, as CT has changed, so has how we use CT in terms of the trauma patient. Now, remember the old articles initially, Mike Federley, Brooke Jeffrey, showing how good CT was in the trauma setting and how important it was and how staging of things like liver and spleen and renal injuries became much more conservative with the development of these new technologies. Now, with the very fast scanners, we talk about a pan scan, imaging the chest, neck, head, abdomen, pelvis, in one fell swoop in the trauma patient, and a good article by Soto made that point. Now, when you make protocols, and protocols are so important for everything we do, and especially in this case of trauma, it's so very important to uh, look at the things we do. So, for example, what are we scanning? Are we scanning a chest only or abdomen only, or are we scanning very long extended ranges? What's the type of injury? Was it an MVA, or was it a gunshot wound? Did someone fall off a ladder? The uh, type of injury you have will often dictate what the likely injuries are, and so we'll really design our protocol to match that. Also, you have to be practical. What type of scanner do you have? Is it an 8 slice, 16, 64? Is it a dual source? Scanner speed and coverage become very critical. And again, what has been seen on other imaging studies, and what is the clinical suspicion? Now, in designing protocols, we typically do not use positive oral contrast. If we can, we give water. We love to use IV contrast, and in most cases, we will use IV contrast. Depending on the injury, we might use rectal and bladder contrast as well. Gunshot wounds to the pelvis, trauma to the pelvis where there are pelvic fractures. Then you're thinking about bladder injury, you need CT cystogram. Gunshot wound to the pelvis, perhaps it's near the rectum or anywhere in the abdomen. It can be near the colon, and so then you want to exclude that possibility. When we look at protocols, we talk about parameters from KVP to MAS. We talk about delay. We talk about the need for single or multiple phases, as in with any application. We talk about contrast volume and injection rate and the importance of post-processing. Recent article by Dresden with a single continuous acquisition, whole body CTA, is able to demonstrate all potentially injured organs, as well as vascular and bone structures from the circle of Willis to the symphysis pubis. So you can see very large areas are scanned. And in this article, they talk about how valuable it is, the whole body CT angiography. Uh, by scanning this large volume, you don't miss specific injuries, you don't overlook injuries, and you're really doing a very large volume scan. And again, it's somewhat controversial, but their feeling is it is the ideal thing to do. Acquisition of subisotropic voxels confers equivalent resolution in any plane and provides many opportunities for maximizing efficiency for injuries in patients with blunt polytrauma, necessitating a move away from over-reliance on axial images. Thus, the use of coronal and sagittal should no longer be considered complementary. And you see, one of the things they talk about that we often speak about as well is the fact you have to use imaging beyond the axial plane. If you're scanning in a volume, you need to review things in the volume. Now, if you're curious as to their protocol, 
They do an unenhanced brain CT, and then they do a scan from the circle of Willis to the symphysis pubis, and here's their protocol. And that's on a 64-slice scanner. Obviously, if you have a flash, you can do a pitch of 3, which would make the study substantially faster, and you can cover literally through the lower extremities. Now, in terms of the specific protocol, they do a scan delay at 20 seconds for patients under 55, and 25 seconds for those over 55. There's a biphasic injection, and depending on the situation, they will typically not be doing delayed scans. Arms above the head in all cases. So they have a very, very defined protocol. We also have a defined protocol at Hopkins. In our new ER, we have a flash scanner. So we're doing thick and thin sections, and we're doing the reconstructions and doing 3D post-processing, as well as coronal and sagittal routinely in cases. Now, in speaking about trauma, if I want to cover the entire spectrum of trauma, we'd have a series of 10 or 20 lectures. But I'm, like, I'm going to cover some, what I would say are hot topics, things that have been written about recently, things that I want to review with you that you should know. So let's first look at the adrenals. The first thing you see in this case is very bright adrenals. In the trauma setting, when you see bright adrenals, you better think the patient is possibly hypotensive. You can see the adrenals here, or you can see the adrenals in this patient who's a child with a large abdominal wall injury. Yes, adrenals can enhance, but when they're super bright, you better be thinking about hyperperfusion. When you have trauma besides the adrenals being super bright, this whole hypovolemic shock syndrome, you talk about changes in perfusion, you'll get a dense, intense pancreas and adrenal and small bowel. You may see poor perfusion of major organs like the liver, spleen, and kidneys, for example. Um, so in that category, we talk about bright adrenals, dilated small bowel fluid filled either with hypo or hyperenhancement, typically hyperenhancement, hyperenhancement of the gallbladder, reduced splenic perfusion, intense persistent enhancement of the kidneys, and peripancreatic edema. So another example, peripancreatic edema, there's free fluid representing blood in the abdomen, and then very bright adrenals in this complicated case in this patient with chest trauma as well as a hydronumothorax on the right, for example. But again, very, very bright adrenals. So that is a terrific sign. Once in a while, fast injections, the adrenals can enhance, but they don't enhance to this level. Other things you look for in this case, flat IVC, and the perfusion changes in other organs. Now, another thing with adrenal we want to talk about in the trauma setting is hemorrhage. Now, the most common cause of hemorrhage usually is Coumadin, but there are many other causes from tumors to infection. But trauma also is one of the causes. Now, typically what you'll see is a high attenuation adrenal gland that typically is oval. In trauma settings, most of the time it's unilateral, but occasionally it can be bilateral. And in the trauma setting, the uh, bilateral is associated with Addison's syndrome, and so those patients need replacement hormonal therapy. Article by Sasserat, adrenal hemorrhage is really suspected clinically, exhibits no specific clinical symptoms or lab findings, and yet is immediately life-threatening when bilateral. Recognition of adrenal hematomas is complicated by the variable appearance of these lesions. So you can see round and oval and high density in this patient with liver trauma and resection. Um, article by Co. Traumatic adrenal injury occurs in 5% of trauma cases. Most commonly affects right adrenal. While rare, adrenal injury is an indicator of severe trauma and should prompt a search for associated injuries. 
again, something to think about. Now, as I mentioned, the appearance of the adrenals and trauma typically oval or round, but it can be a regular hemorrhage which obliterates the gland with lots of blood in the bed of the gland. You can see uniform adrenal gland swelling with increased attenuation. You can see periadrenal hemorrhage or stranding. You can see a large retroperitoneal hemorrhage around the gland and you, you in fact do not see the gland. Or you can even see more long-term is an adrenal cyst or more likely a pseudocyst. So again, look at the adrenals in every trauma case. You may see injury to the adrenal or it may give you a hint that this patient is about to do very poorly. Okay, let's move on then to the spleen. Splenic size is very variable. Top normal, we usually talk about 13 centimeters. Variations in the spleen are common, accessory spleens, lobulations. Lobulations can be confused with lacerations or infarcts. Accessory spleens can be confused with masses in the pancreas or near the pancreas. Um, those are all definite possibilities. Uh, in terms of the spleen, in terms of density, the spleen typically is 10 household units less than the liver on non-contrast scans. The issue you want to be very careful about is when you're doing very fast injections, which is common in the trauma setting, the spleen can have this moray pattern of enhancement due to the variable circulatory routes through the spleen. And you can see the schematic very nicely shown here. And in real life, when you look at it, you tend to see a serpentine cord-like enhancement, most common. It's more pronounced with fast injection rates and early scanning. It's accentuated in a patient with decreased cardiac output, splenic vein occlusion, or portal hypertension. Now, very important to recognize, if you look at this case and you're not certain, and you say, could this be a laceration? Is there possibly a laceration? Well, one thing to think about, you don't see any blood near the spleen, but you can still have a laceration. Just go back in 30 seconds and look how normal the spleen looks, okay? Another case, 30 seconds apart. So it is of some concern sometimes, but it's only typically a problem when you're doing early scanning. When you're scanning a bit later, it's not going to be a problem. Other things in terms of the spleen, we know the splenic artery is very variable in terms of number and its course, but easy to recognize, particularly if you do 3D maps. MIPS works very nicely. Here you can see a small calcification on the splenic artery, but very nice definition. Here similarly, you can see the splenic vein in this patient. Splenic veins are usually best seen in about 60 to 70 seconds post-injection. But again, nicely showing you how timing will allow us to see either splenic artery or splenic vein. Now when you have trauma, the appearance has become somewhat classic. You can see active bleeding, as you can see here, multiple sites of active bleeding. And this patient has had significant injury, and this spleen subsequently ruptured. But again, very nice example. There's some blood near the spleen, but there's blood in the pelvis. The site of blood in the pelvis, even minimal, you really have to be looking for what you missed. If you don't see liver, spleen, kidney, then you better be thinking about bowel injury. Now, when I mention trauma, um, we also want to mention, at least touch on the pregnant patient. And that's always a topic of interest when it comes down to CT. People will argue, what should you do in the appendicitis? What should you do with the pregnant patient in PE? But no one argues in terms of trauma. Patient had an MVA, high suspicion for injury. There's the placenta. No one is going to worry about radiation dose because when all is said and done, it's the mother that's most critical. 
So if you're thinking that the patient has a substantial injury and you need a CT, not just doing a CT on everybody, well, then you want to do it, do it correctly, and make certain, as in this case, there's no vascular injury and no significant trauma. Good article by Sadro when there's concern for maternal injury. CT is the mainstay. The risk of radiation to the pregnancy is small compared to the risks of miss or delayed diagnosis of trauma. Okay, so very, very important to really recognize that. Trauma is the leading cause of, uh, of maternal uh, deaths, non-OB causes of maternal deaths, and that indeed is very, very important to recognize that you really uh, need to, when, you, when you're in doubt, just do the study. That indeed becomes very, very important. Causes of trauma in pregnancy are most commonly MVAs, falls, and assaults. Okay, those are the big ones. Uh, Sedro also makes note certain injuries in pregnancy are associated with increased risk of fetal loss. Pelvic and acetabular fractures occurring in pregnancy are associated with high maternal and a higher fetal mortality, increasing to 75% for severe fracture patterns. Now, so that's one thing. Patients pregnant, just do the study. It's a question that commonly comes up. Do not waste time. You do not want this patient to do poorly. Now, what else? Let's look at the pelvis. One thing I mentioned uh, and always mention when you're speaking about looking at the abdomen of pelvis, we talk about protocols and the key to really think about what you will need. So depending on the patient's injury, you might think about a bladder injury. You might think about a colon injury. Well, in that case, give the uh, CT cystogram, put contrast in the bladder, or put contrast in the rectum, depending on the scenario depending on what the injury is, because only scan the patient one time. There's no need to scan the patient two times. So with trauma, blunt trauma is the most common, penetrating iatrogenic are the next two. Uh, GU trauma occurs in 5 to 10 patients of all patients with trauma. Bladder injury occurs in about 1.6%. Bladder rupture in about 2 to 11% of patients with pelvic trauma. Uh, the majority of patients with pelvic injury with bladder injury have pelvic fractures, often significant fractures. And that's one of the reasons if you have complex pelvic fractures, you really should always get a CT cystogram. If you wait to do the delayed bladder imaging, the bladder will fill, but the bladder is not distended and injuries are very easy to miss. Some facts about bladder trauma, up to 80% of cases are extraperitoneal, 20% are intraperitoneal, and 5 to 10% are combined. Uh, bladder trauma, we mentioned blunt trauma is the most common. Penetrating iatrogenic are all things that we do tend to really think more about. And then when you put the bladder trauma into categories, you end up with contusion, you end up with intraperitoneal. And intraperitoneal is the one that goes to surgery. You talk about bowel hematomas, extraperitoneal spread, and combined. Okay? So intraperitoneal up to 20%. Delayed diagnosis results in increased mortality due to the risk of peritonitis, and these patients require surgical management. A statement by Ishak, MDCT cystography is becoming the study of choice for evaluation of bladder for suspected trauma, and it's becoming the study of choice for many different applications that do involve the bladder. And in terms of choosing when to do it, uh, Ishak makes the point when there's pelvic fluid present, when there are fractures or gross hematuria, you should just do the CT cystogram as part of the regular CT scan. And it looks very nicely. There's the bladder. If there was bladder injury, you would see it very nicely. Here's another patient. Here we had a, a wound to the chest. 
You can see blood in the plural, in the pleural space as well as the lung parenchyma. And when you scan the pelvis, you can see there's a small chip off the superior pubic ramus on the left. There's associated hematoma, pelvic sidewall. These are the things you have to worry about. And now you give rectal contrast, and everything looks sort of good. There's that little bit of contrast extravasation anteriorly, but it is to that small collection that was known. But you can see it nevertheless. And you can see multiple different views. And then, of course, on delayed phase imaging, that communication is still present. So you can very nicely suspect the possibility of bladder injury and do the CT cystogram. The worst case is a CT cystogram is negative. What you don't want to do is bring the patient back a second time. That would be most uh, impractical and would also increase the dose to the patient. We only scan the one time, so the dose is much lower. Now, another thing about pelvic uh, fractures we commented with bladder injury is the ones that are more extensive, more likely to have bladder injury. So here's a comminuted fracture, involves a sacrum and acetabulum on the left. You do a CT cystogram, you can see contrast extravasation. You can follow it upward, and this contrast extravasation is in the retroperitoneal space. Very, very nicely to show there. Another case, there's a mass in the bladder, and here it is against the positive contrast, and this was a large hematoma. So again, bleeding is not always the same as uh, organ injury but, uh, or rupture, to be exact, but in this case, very nice bleed, but there's no evidence of bladder rupture. Now, stab wounds and gunshot wounds really create havoc in the pelvis. Here's a good example of a gunshot wound in the perineum, perirectal, there was no rectal injury, and in fact, there was no bladder injury. The bladder looks very nice on these images, very nicely shown there and there. You can see in this case, what about the bladder here? Another case of gunshot. You can see the pelvis, the bladder, everything's filled. We scan upward, a few small nodes. You can see that the bladder is intact, despite the fact the patient got this pelvic injury. And uh, here it is very nicely shown. You see the tube in the patient's rectum, best seen on sagittal view. So now you see the intact rectum, you see that the bladder's intact, you see the kidneys are intact, and the ureters are intact. Okay? Other things looking at the pelvis, pelvic hematomas can be within muscle subcutaneous tissues like this case, or this incredible example. We were looking for a site of bleeding. You can see the hematoma on the left, but look at the early appearance of the IVC. This is an AV fistula from the superficial femoral, arter femoral femoral vein to the artery. So a very nice communication. And you can see the blood pouring in from the arterial to the venous side, giving this very flash acquisition, very nicely shown in this image and in this set of images. When I speak about vascular injuries in the pelvis, and this is the last thing I'll talk about, and then we'll take a break, we talk about all sorts of different injuries from extravasation to occlusion to pseudoaneurysms. And I think what we'll do is, um, the time is getting short, why don't we just take a break there, and then we will be right back in a few minutes and start again. Thank you very much.